I don't think it's really even worth pursuing because it's ludicrous. The fundamental errors of concept are so gross that it's, it, it just can't happen. You know, something, you know, possibly something to do with something that could call itself Bitcoin could grow up and do something like become centralized, become operated intelligently as something and then acquired by a government like the U.S. Mint as a minting operation and then become U.S. dollars, that could be a migration path. Who knows, that could happen for political reasons if there were enough wealthy people who stood to lose a lot of their money they had used to buy Bitcoins at high price in order to save their butts, you know? Mm-hmm. That could be a potential migration path, but cryptocurrency as it is designed, you know, this anarchism uh, uh, idea that government, you know, would wither away and government is, uh, is, the, is the problem and unnecessary and, you know, creation of money is, I mean, it's all just bass backwards. I mean, it's just, <laughs> there's no, it, it's, 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 it's ludicrous. It's, it's nonsense. Welcome to Activist MMT, a podcast about nonviolent MMT direct activism, introducing modern monetary theory to the world and conversations about learning MMT together. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein. Today's part two of my two-part conversation with author, researcher, and entrepreneur Brian Hanley about his paper, The False Premises and Promises of Bitcoin. The paper, published in 2013 and last updated in 2018, is essentially a summary of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency through an MMT lens. Brian and I continue discussing the list of claims made by Bitcoin's originators and supporters and why they're flawed. We also go in depth into why Bitcoin makes credit impossible and why that's so critical. We end today's episode with the decidedly non-MMT topic of nuclear power. Brian has done research on the biological effects of radiation and is a strong supporter of nuclear power being a primary ingredient in dealing with the climate crisis. He talks about how nuclear power and radiation are badly misunderstood by the public and media. Now let's get right back to my conversation with Brian Hanley. Anybody who hasn't cashed out in fiat currency will have nothing left of what they, what they thought they had on paper. So that's why I called it, you know, I, I was, I, I was, I was gobsmacked that 
uh, a group of analysts like PitchBook would do such a poor job. <laughs> uh, so it, it really is like that Bitcoin is really propped up by its miners, which means that it's really propped up by energy, which currently is fossil fuels. And then as soon well, as that... It's- it's not propped up by that. It's propped up by belief. Well, and y- yes, it requires fossil. It requires it requires energy to create more because it was designed that way. But that doesn't prop it up because it's not making anything real. I don't. I don't See? mean it's backed by. I just mean that the, the that it, it is inherent in the system that if. Uh, that if those miners go away, if the fossil fuel goes away, then the miners go away, then the faith in the Bitcoin is going to go away almost instantaneously. I think yeah, that's you'd, you'd only have a few people, you'd only have the part of the network left, which was private party individuals running it on their PCs, which is where it started. Right. And you can't even log future transactions anymore. So the system would go immediately die off, or at least very quickly would die off. It's, and it, it, Is that fair to say? Um, something like that could hobble along for a long time if there were enough people to continue to hobble, you know, to make it hobble. But that would dramatically affect the group psychology. Oh, yeah, it, it would. Yes, it would dramatically affect And it. since it is backed by group psychology, that's a very serious right. thing. So, and, it's, and it's really quite similar to our, our food and water supply for the, for the world is propped up by fossil fuels. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not knowledgeable about this, but I'm pretty sure that that's an accurate statement. That fossil fuels is the reason that we can feed eight billion people, you know, and have you know, uh, bulk yeah, stores filled energy with, is. yeah, and which is. is which is largely fossil fuels currently. Fossil fuels and yeah, you know, yeah. Well, that, that's 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 Garrett's work. Garrett. His twenty. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, his 2011 paper. He he showed that there was a there was a stable. He used all the data he was able to to get, which was something like fifty or sixty years of it, and you know he 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 integrated that together, and he showed that there was a it was nine point seven milliwatts of energy per dollar of nineteen ninety. $1990. Um, so if, if you normalize, normalize that, the amount of money in the world was corresponded to the amount of energy that was being consumed. Mm-hmm. And that makes a lot of sense from a physics point of view, because energy is work. And energy allows Humans, you know, we, we used to have massive numbers of slaves because in order to make a civilization work, you had to have all these people to do all the, all that manual labor. Hmm. Whereas now most, you know, most of it is done by machines. Dinosaurs. Um, including <laughs> including our, our transport. Yeah. So so my instinct was correct. The, the, for the world's food and water supply for 8 billion people is substantially propped up by fossil fuels because yes, it's energy, but most of our energy right now is fossil fuels. And just imagine if, and when fossil fuels go away and we don't have a a sufficient replacement in the ready. I mean, just imagine what happens with people in, in, you know, scrambling for food and for, and for clean water. And that, Mm -hmm. and I say that, I say that because that is kind of an equivalent to, you know, Bitcoin, 
requires miners, requires energy, which is largely fossil fuels. And, and that's based on the group psychology. Once that goes away, that affects greatly affects the group psychology and causes, you know, can cause basically like a kind of a panic. And that seems like a parallel to, yeah, yeah that seems well, like you know, th- th- this has happened before, you know, the beanie babies. So just any kind of fad. You know, uh, Tul- the tulips, which I'm not quite familiar with, but I know tul- the tulips. Tulip bulbs. Is- well, there, there, there's a book by uh, McKay, um, Madness of the Crowds. Oh, oh yeah, you, yeah, I'll put the link in. I didn't read that, but it's a short. It's a short book that you linked in one of your posts. Yeah, extraordinary popular delusions on the madness of crowds. Yeah, by I'll, Charles McKay. Yeah, I'll have a link um, in the notes. Yeah, and and he he wrote about the South Seas. Real estate bubble. He wrote about the the tulip bulb mania. You know, there were tulip bulbs that were sold in in the eighteen hundreds. I was at the seventeen hundreds for sixty thousand dollars each. <laughs> and it's just a, it's just a bulb that you know would grow and create a flower. But you could eat a tulip bulb if you wanted to, and you could also grow flowers and get more. So there's something. And it looks pretty. Use. And it looks pretty. You know, there's something there. Um, Beanie Babies were the most recent fad, and that happened in the 90s. And Oh, you, you can't know, leave I, out I, Tickle Me Elmo. Come on. <laughs> well, a Tickle Me Elmo didn't, didn't it wasn't, take it wasn't off on quite the, the way that Beanie Babies did. I of mean, course. People of course, were paying, just... you know, $500, $1,000 for, you know, a, a little bean bag stuffed child's toy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know. They're still around, but you you know you're not going to get five hundred dollars for one. Sure. This is this is just part of human psychology. It's just you know people. I think we, we probably have an instinct for seeing that something is popular, and jumping on it, because people who have done that, many of them have done well. The problem happens if you're one of those people who jumps on it and then never jumps off and never doesn't see the jumping off point. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, uh, let's move on to another subject, if that's okay, and that is uh, an, an anonymity. So, uh, the the blockchain the is inherently public. The entire blockchain is public to anyone who wants to see it, and yet there is there is an ostensible anonymity associated to Bitcoin that it's used to pay for crimes, that it's used to pay for drugs. Uh, so how can something fundamentally public get, provide an anonymity? How can you commit a crime to steal a Bitcoin when the entire blockchain and every single transaction that's ever happened is fundamentally public to the world? The answer to that is pretty much how much resources are going to be put into tracking it. Uh, the FBI has gotten pretty sophisticated at this. If you read up on the, the uh, how the Dread Pirate Robert was caught, who started uh, Silk Road, those techniques are, are what they, you know, they, they've gone on from there and they've added, they've improved the, their capabilities. Michael John's paper is an entry point into correlation of transactions with times, places to a degree, and with people. And if you have enough attention on it, 
and you know enough resources with enough smart people looking at it, you know, using sophisticated uh, techniques, you can put together enough information to convince a jury because the transactions are all there. And with you know modern laws for know your customer on exchanges, they can get at where did they originate, or they can prove they did not originate at any of those places. Therefore, they had to go somewhere else. Now, whether to the degree to which they're able to penetrate the onion layers of Tor, the onion router, uh, I don't know the answer to that. So in theory, it's possible, but it would take a lot of monitoring stations in order to do it. And I don't know if, if there's any entity that does that at this time. But suffice it to say that you can do a good enough job to connect the dots. And you will also have the fact that if the FBI or the police are, are you know, have, have, have gathered evidence for a case, they'll have records and other evidence about the business being transacted from that person and surrounding that person. It's, it's pretty much impossible to do things without leaving any, any audit trail at all. And if so, if they, if they do close in on an individual, then they, they you know, they can gather more and court, correlate more. And, you know, this is, this is still happening. If you just Google uh, housewife, business partner, hitman, huh. and, and uh, Bitcoin, you'll see a bunch of people who got caught trying to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, part of that is because law enforcement is running honeypot operations. You know, they, they, they go on the dark web and they, and they create a hitman outfit. And then they, you know, and they give it good, good ratings and all the rest of it. And then people, you know, fall into that and they contract with it and, and they get caught. But there's probably others who don't. You know, people, people wanting to kill former husbands, former business associates, etc. is, you know, it's, it goes back to biblical times and people will continue to do, to do that. You said, uh, I I believe it is true that the ability to determine, like, the identity of whatever is more possible when you have a lot of computing power. So, for example, a government. A government has more of an ability to determine who's behind these transactions because they can take over the entire blockchain, which I believe is related to the 30%, the third, roughly a third. If you can have the computing power to, to take over like the majority of the blockchain, and I guess I think there's something related to, to trust, that, that you get the trust of the entire blockchain, that, that, is, that, makes, it, that makes it easier to determine these things. Is that, is that um, in the ballpark? Well, that, 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 that algorithm is for who is allowed to update the system and, and put through software updates to, to that define what, uh, you know, the cryptocurrency system does, which could potentially allow somebody to put in a, a you know, a backdoor or a bug 
that would allow them to steal steal things. Um, whether that's been done, I don't know. Um, there's a lot of eyes looking at it. In terms of computing power and more, like, more really analytical power, which sometimes requires computing power, which is what the NSA is about. You know, the the the, uh, the Edward what Edward Snowden talked about. You know, the these these systems for recording all the traffic. This, the top level of information there is who is talking to who. And you can do some of that with the blockchain as well. You can figure out who is talking to who. Um, you can do it by putting through transactions of your own to see how they route, you know, see, see, see what they look like into very, you know, into various exchanges or into to various, you know, people. And in that way, you can, you can create a map of where, of where, of where things, of, of who's connected. And if all you know is who's connected, that's tremendous information. Mm -hmm. Because you can, if you can figure out who some of those, who some of those parties are, which you can probably identify most of them, then you have a map that just has some fill in the blanks. You know, that, that's, that's the way this sort of thing is done. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to ask one moderately smallish question, and then I'd like to get into our final big topic, and then I'm going to close out with the nuclear thing. Um, at the end of your paper, your uh, promises and premises of Bitcoin, you have a list of your recommendations for creative disruption to basically, I think it's essentially how to use cryptocurrency or, or the blockchain to do a positive disruption of the system. And I'd like to get, can you, can you quickly go through your bullet points of that? And, and, and then can you, I don't know if there's any overlap or not, but the major MMT recommendations of a job guarantee of uh, Mosler's banking reforms, ZERP and so on, I wonder if there's any overlap between those two things or are they just completely unrelated? Uh, they're, they're related. I have not, I, I have a criticism that is currently in press uh, of, of MMT. If you want to, if we want to get into that, we should probably make it a separate, separate discussion. But, you know, the, the, the people who have worked on, on MMT, you know, uh, Warren Mosler, um, Randall Ray, uh, Pavlina, Trineva, they've done a really good job. They have, they have really nailed these things down. Um, I agree with Pavlina about the job guarantee. I don't think that um, the, uh, you know, the basic income idea is a good one. I, you know, I, I you know, MMT is just how things work. There, there are prescriptions like the job guarantee those are really kind of associated with MMT. They're not MMT per se. MMT itself is really what, you know, Fulweiler nailed down and what, and what Mosler nailed down. They're trying to do some reforms along with it. And, and these things that they're prescribing are also things that they see as being, you know, clearly implementable and there's no excuse for not doing them once this is properly understood. The, the, the work that I've been going after 
it's it's in the realm of banking because uh, you know as I, as I said earlier banking is the original disruptive innovation that resulted in a radical increase in the money supply in Europe kind of expanding out of Italy and then across across the rest of Europe as it got adopted it, you know the, the the British royalty created the Bank of England a long time ago and the Bank of England around the time of the American Revolution started figuring out that hey when you cancel out the debt when you pay it off that means the money is gone that that debt created and according to uh, Jeffrey Gardner the Bank of England has not paid off all of the American Revolutionary War debt because of that reason the, their, the Bank of England's recognition of this also was a fundamental underpinning to that that allowed the British Empire to expand across the world and have enough money to mostly do it, although they screwed that up in North America. Here, you know, with the, and the USA rebelled because of it. If you don't have enough money available for for the people, you are going to get your history says you're going to get war. Um, you're going to get civil war. You're going to get revolutionary wars. You're going to get people fighting to get what they need in order to make it. So this business of creating enough money is very, very important for us all. The angle that I've been working on comes out of the paper that I published in 2012 titled Release of the Kraken, uh, which is the, the, de the debut of a new money multiplier, which had, ne has ne had never been seen before. Uh, That's the one endorsed by Keenan Quiggin. Yes, yes. Feel free to read it. It's got some heavy going, but you don't actually have to have to follow all the math in it. You can, I, I, I tried to write it for, you know, for the intelligent layman and, and my, um, Kevin Walsh, who was my mentor on that uh, before Steve and, and John, one of his one of his things as a professor was, you know, he 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 just got he would get cranky because he couldn't assign economics papers to be read by by MBA students or undergrads. He had to tell them what these things meant because they were they were hard for him to decipher. One of his pushes for me when I was when I was writing this was I should be able to assign this to an undergrad to read and they should be able to comprehend it. Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, mostly. So I, you know, I tried to write it that way. In that context, way back, you know, Edison and Tesla around uh, the turn of the 20th century. Who, who was the venture capitalist backing them? Do you know? No. It was J.P. Morgan. Hmm. And he was a banker. His investments in them were loans from his bank, which meant he had a leverage that current day venture capitalists don't have. We have actually gone backwards. We are currently operating with venture capital exactly the way the Assyrians did 
in you know a couple thousand BC. We current venture capital uses positive money and a few of them borrow money from banks, but they do not themselves issue loans. So what I've been working on is something relative to that. I'm currently, you know, I, I've, I've got uh, five or is it six working papers on that. And I, I recently, uh, well, actually it was late 2019, I finished the final one. I think it's the final one that, that gets at the, the underlayment to our, you know, to our banking system, how, how, we, how we operate the way we do. But basically, it, that would be another you know, long conversation to have altogether. But the bottom line here is that I wanted to find a way to make real venture capital. I'm not talking about private equity. You know, I'm not talking about consolidations. I'm talking about real venture capital that is putting money into creating new things of value to people. I think that needs to be made more profitable. And we can do it by operating as a kind of bank with the right kind of design. So that's what I've been, that's, that's one of the things I've been working on. And I think that that is, it's definitely compatible with MMT. And it may be, it may end up being a solution to what I see as a problem with, with uh, MMT. But that, 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 that's the angle that I've been going after. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Um, uh, so let's go on to uh, – whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on one second. My son's here. Hold on a second. Yes. I, I'm, re I'm recording an interview right now, so if you're going to share something cool with me, I'd have to wait till after I'm done. Just put bookmark it for me, okay? Um, so I'd like to move on to the to the last major topic, but before we do, I just actually want to make a uh, what I think is a minor correction of what what you said, and that is that the JG is not part of MMT. I have actually a the, post, the JG the job guarantee, job guarantee. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. not part of MMT, and I and I have a I have a post where I've accumulated quotes from yeah. every major uh, MMT developer where it says that the JG and the M M M MMT itself are inseparable. I can send you, I can put that in the show notes. Yeah, I'm aware of that. And I've oh, okay. had some conversations with, I, I had some, for, for this paper, criticizing MMT, one of the things that I was required to do was, was to write a summary of MMT for, for other economists, because a lot of economists don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the process of that, you know, identified these, these foundation principles, which are, you know, it's, it's just, this is how things work. You know, it's kind of like physics. And then, you know, things like the job guarantee are, you could call them engineering that's built on that physics. Mm -hmm. I, but, but yeah, I'm aware that, that there are people who want them to be inseparable, but I, I don't know that they actually, I, I don't think they actually are. And okay. That's, well, my, you know, that, that's my judgment. Okay. Well, my opinion, my opinion, my personal opinion is that Every theory has. I mean, I think it's. I think it's kind of obvious that every theory has prescriptions. Every major theory has prescriptions associated to it, and I also think that those who defined MMT get to define MMT, and they say that it's part of it. So that that's my personal feeling on it. Um, all right, but we don't we don't need to go on with that. Uh, let's mm -hmm. go on to the last major subject, 
and we we you, you we touched on this near the beginning. Um, I'd like to review it and maybe get a little deeper. And that is, I think, what is unique with your analysis compared to, for example, Taleb's Taleb. For, I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. And he was he was just on. He just had a six page paper, a good six page paper, uh, printed on on uh, or published by Naked Capitalism. And I think everything that he said was accurate, as my understanding. He just doesn't go deep enough. And one of the elements that he doesn't touch on, which I'd like to touch on now, is bank lending, how, how Bitcoin makes bank lending impossible. And if we don't have bank lending, then we don't really have a modern society. Well, it, it makes Bitcoin makes bank lending impossible in Bitcoin. In Bitcoin. Or, or in other cryptocurrency, any right. cryptocurrency. But, yes. The, the idea of Bitcoin, however, is to that so-called replace a nation's money with Bitcoin, right. replace the world's right. money with Bitcoin. And right. if you do that, then banking, modern banking becomes impossible because you can't make right. bank loans because bank loans require created money. And then right. therefore, modern society is not possible. So that's the, you like, also you also because Bitcoin is a private currency is a private thing. It's not it has nothing to do with the government. Mm -hmm. Um, it would also mean that governments could not set their budgets. Governments could not spend as they as they see fit. This is this would crash the world. I mean, the, the hope crash. is. I mean, it, the hope it, is that, it, is it, that it the, won't happen. The hope is that I, I think the hope from Bitcoin enthusiasts is that the Bitcoin blockchain would become the government, right? Well. With them in charge, see that gets back I mean, to isn't the whole that, issue. I mean, you know, I, you know, I one mean, of the basic issues issues with you know with Marxism was, okay, a dictatorship of the proletariat. Okay, but who are these people who become the dictators? Right, it's the first somebody has of to Bitcoin. win. It's the Musk's well, and the, the no, no, no. <laughs> well, it, it it would be. I don't think it's really even worth pursuing because it's ludicrous. The fundamental errors of concept are so gross that it's it it just can't happen, you know. Something you know, possibly something to do with something that could call itself Bitcoin could grow up and do something like become centralized, become operated intelligently as something, and then acquired by a government like the U.S. Mint as a minting operation and then become U.S. dollars, that could be a migration path. Who knows, that could happen for political reasons if there were enough wealthy people who stood to lose a lot of their money they had used to buy Bitcoins at high price in order to save their butts, you know? Mm -hmm. That could be a potential migration path. But cryptocurrency as it is designed, you know, this anarchalism, uh, uh, idea that government, you know, would wither away, and government is is the, is the problem and unnecessary, and you know, creation of money is. I mean, it's all just bass backwards. I mean, it's just well, <laughs> there's no. It, it's 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 ludicrous. It's it's nonsense. All right. Well, can can you review uh, the the. The, I guess basically you know, that bank lending requires created money, that, that loans are inherently 
created money. Credit is created money by its very nature. And then when you pay it back, it is destroyed money. And that Bitcoin is completely incompatible with creating money. I mean, it ha it does create it, but but in a very, in a way that it's kind of weird how to, how to even describe. Okay, so here's a good first step. It is, yes, Bitcoin is created. It's never destroyed. I mean, it might be lost. Well, a lot never, of it is destroyed. But 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 it's not being lost. It's effectively destroyed, but it's never actually destroyed. It's lost. It's it's they forget the passwords, but it's never destroyed. But the, it Bitcoin is created, but it is created in a way that is independent of human human decisions. I mean, it was it was a human decision when it was done, when it was initially created, but once that decision was made, it is now out of the control of human beings. You know, uh, it's kind of weird how well, to even it, say it, that. It's under, the, it's under the control of the of the people who decide to go into the business of being miners, right? But it, that, that's who controls it. But I, I'm having, I'm having actually. This is okay. So my question is, is I'm having a hard time describing the difference of how Bitcoin is created and how bank lending is created because bank lending you can create an infinite amount. I guess that answers the question. You can create an infinite. You have the unlimited capacity to create and destroy money as a bank and as a government at a moment's notice. You do not have that ability in Bitcoin. Right. It was deliberately designed out. Right. Scarcity right. versus versus scarcity, whatever. Scarcity. Well, scarcity. See, see that that you are correct in that there is the potential for creating very large amounts of money at any at any moment. But that money gets created within a system in response to, you know, there has, there needs to be collateral or there needs to be, you know, some loan officer needs to believe that this person is telling the truth and they can't, and they will get paid back in the future. Right. The fundamental, the fundamental invention of banking is I will give you money today and you will pay me back tomorrow and the next day Plus over, interest, you know, right. over some period of time. Right. You know, in the early days, like in the Medici era, they would they would loan money for about three months at a, at a, at a, at a block, you know, which is about the time the time it took to make a sea voyage, long sea voyage, or, or maybe a month, and they would turn that loan in that period of time, and they would charge fees in order to get around the the, the, law, the laws against charging interest. Mm -hmm. But you know, it, it functioned. It functioned as you know as as banking because they you know it was later figured out you know, they they lived in fear you know they lived in fear that they would be it would be found out that they didn't have the money in their vault that they were lending out on paper. Right, that was the whole the whole fun the whole foundation of you know I think it's I think it's true that in the historical the history of banking is that there was gold in the vaults. And then they would start, you know, uh, too heavy to carry around and whatever. And then they would start handing out certificates that you have the right to get this gold in the vault. But they knew that only whatever, 10% would actually ask for the gold in the vault. And they were banking. Or historically, were, that was most of the time, yeah. They were yeah. betting on the fact, the, the, the likeliness that there would not be a run on the bank. But yeah. if there was a run on the bank, they would have to defend that gold and so 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 the idea that bitcoin could be used in this fashion 
you wouldn't even be able to get what in, in the gold example, right. you would not be able to create those certificates at all. Those certificates right. are impossible to create in if you use Bitcoin as the basis of what's in a bank's vault. Or you would have to create Bitcoin certificates that were not Bitcoin, but then why would anybody not, you know, because there, there isn't a penalty, there isn't much of a penalty for carrying Bitcoin around, so to speak. And you, so that's what you call virtual Bitcoin, a certificate for that, Bitcoin. Well, that's what you would, you would have to have. Um, and then that's something, I, you know, that's something I stepped through in the paper at one point. Right. And then that's, that's anathema. That is yeah. just not going to happen. That's, yeah. That is against the philosophy of that Bitcoin. That is against the philosophy because the people who invented Bitcoin did not understand money. So, they didn't understand banking and they didn't understand what made the society and the technological world in which we live possible. So the, anal the, so the analogy going back, assume, you know, pretending, uh, pretending that, that we could only lend out Bitcoin itself – and you couldn't have virtual Bitcoin, you can't have virtual Bitcoin because they're simply against it, is the equivalent of saying, okay, we're back where gold was actually in the bank's vaults. They could not give people certificates for gold. They could only give people pieces Actual of gold. gold. Yes. And that, that kind of makes it pretty obvious that the banking system can't function that way. Right. You know, the, the very first few people could get a loan and then nobody else could get a loan. Right. Be because right. it is truly zero sum, which the only yeah. way to give to somebody is to take from somebody else. Yeah, and with yeah, a growing you know, population and, and, and growing things right, that we do, right. it just it makes it impossible. And, and in, in Europe, what happened was, you know, you had this scam, this kind of scam that operated with what became understood as reserves, 50% reserves. And then, you know, later generations kind of, you know, a, a scam becomes a, you know, accepted practice and formalized and, you know, a couple hundred years later, you're operating at 25% reserves and you could cut that in half and then to like 12.5% and then to 6%. And there was a period of time when they were cutting, you know, there were banks that were cutting it really, really fine and they could get runs kind of the way that our 2008 crisis got a, had effectively like a run on the bank where all of a sudden they find out, oh, we don't have enough money on hand to handle basic transactions why you know trans you know money transfers between people in our bank mm -hmm. and when you get to that point then your bank is 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 toast that it basically guarantees a run on the bank like almost immediately yeah if if you can't have if you can't have credit if you can't have virtual bitcoin that if the only people who can get a loan are those who can actually physically hold a piece of gold basically guarantees a run on the bank almost immediately. And it's it's just, I don't know, it, it's just- And just, then you're operating as a money lender, which is what venture capitalists do, do today and what private equity does today. As opposed to okay? what? As opposed to a bank that writes a loan and creates money, they are actually, you know, they're operating the way you would. If you own your, if, you know, if you loan your Uncle Fred $10,000 to say buy a car, when he pays you back, if he pays you back at all with interest, you keep the, the original principal and the interest because you did not create that, you know, so to speak, out of thin air because, because you don't have a license to do that. Hmm. And actually, that brings up the fact that interest has to be taken from somebody else. 
It has to come from somewhere. Yeah, I've yeah I've had some conversation with Steve Keen about that, and there's various theories. One of them is it comes from velocity. Um, another is that it comes from uh, you know part of the deficit, uh, which is another term for it. the MMT term is the national savings account hmm. rather than deficit. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Okay, yeah, no, that that's very interesting, and and the analogy of thinking back in the, on the gold system, uh, kind of brings it home for me. Um, okay, yes, please. Why don't you? Uh, so we'll do two final things. Uh, why don't you talk about tether for a little bit, and then we can close out um, with you know talking about the the nuclear thing uh, okay. a little bit. So let's let's do tether, please. Okay, so here here's the basic steps that that you, you've got an entity called Tether, and it's tied to, uh, I think it's Bitfinex. It's, it's tied to an exchange. And you're, you know, you're in good with those people. So you create a Tether and you declare it to have some value out of nothing. And you can create these on demand, much like you know, a government does. You then go to your exchange and you buy Bitcoin with them. And you buy Bitcoin with them during a period of time when the price is rising. So you buy Bitcoin and then you sell them. You, you, you sell that Bitcoin for a profit. And as long as you do that before anybody really, you know, anything catches up to you, you can then essentially build up a store of cash in your tether system. And you can you can say that you're backed by uh, by, by real dollars. You just rinse, repeat, keep doing this. And as long as you've got a general cycle that's on the upswing in that crypto or in other cryptos, you've got a business. It's one that you, it, it's kind of, it's kind of like Forex, except that in this case, you're not actually borrowing real money from anybody you're creating real money out of uh, out of your whatever. The very idea of creating money in, in an environment where, I mean, I'm not sure exactly the relationship between Bitcoin or not, but Bitcoin, you cannot control the creation of money directly in, you know, in an immediate right. sense and in, in the sense that a bank needs. So if it is linked to Bitcoin in that way, then that kind of brings up, well, then how how can they do that? How How is that possible to have that, what seems like flexibility in an environment where flexibility is not possible? Yeah. Which is solved by entities like Tether. And then uh, oh. uh, you, you, you have, um, well, for, the, for those who want to make money and you have Coinbase has created USD coin and Coinbase is, you know, and, and th- th- this gets to another issue, which is that, you know, there's no there's no regulation or transparency inside of these exchanges for what they do, and they can trade on their own account. And if they see what's happening, you know, they they can let let let's say there's there's two transactions. One of them is for for say fifty thousand dollars, and another is for forty five thousand dollars for a coin. Well, they can go and they can buy that $45,000 coin on their own credit 
because they're the exchange, and then they can sell it for uh, you know to the guy who wants to buy it for fifty thousand, and they can make that you know they can make that five grand on that transaction or something like it. it you know that, that's sort of conceptually uh, what, what what it's kind of it, it would be exchange operator insider trading, which you know stock market exchanges. You know all, all that all that's regulated, whereas with you know with with, with coin exchanges, who's to know? You know there's no there's no regulation, and when they're doing it with, in the context of having a side a side business, where they create these uh, securities, I guess you'd call them, that they then use to buy bitcoins. And then they sell the bitcoins, and they take, and they take whatever those profits are. I mean, it's it, it's a way of it's another way of implementing that insider mm. trading. Um, all right. Well, let's let's close out with one issue um, that's that's unrelated to uh, MMT and Bitcoin. And there's a specific reason I want to bring this up. So you have you have experience with nuclear power and how, you know, like the biological effects of, of, mm-hmm. of radiation. And so you are definitely, you know, you have background in that you on Facebook have repeatedly said, you know, that nuclear is, should be a, an important element in, in mitigating climate change to getting off of fossil fuels. And, you know, I, I have no reason to doubt you and I per, don't personally have any experience or education on this. Uh, but m- my personal feeling is that I'm very wary of nuclear. But my, over, my, my overall reason for asking this question is that I feel like even though you have expertise in nuclear energy, I, I, I don't know this for sure, but I believe that you do not have expertise in all of the other kinds of major energy, solar and wind and geothermal, whatever else. Um, so you're saying that nuclear should be a very important part of global, you know, mitigating the climate crisis, I'm sure is valid, is, is valid in some way. But I also feel like the very fact that we are discussing this on social media is the problem in and of itself. Because the ex, the true experts, you know, Governments, governmental bodies have not created the, what do you call it? The, you know, their, their big effort to create the nuclear bomb, the, the Manhattan Project. They have not done a Manhattan Project for how to get off of fossil fuels, how to mitigate the climate crisis. And so, therefore, how can anyone know what's going on? Because their heads are, the, those are in power, their heads are so deep in the sand that, of course, we can't know. So you and I, we're having this. We're we're speculating on Facebook about how to mitigate the climate crisis. This is not our role, you know. I know I know that you're not just a layperson, but but just kind of my feeling of just this issue in general is having these debates on social media, having these debates online, basically lay people debating things that is not in our wheelhouse. It's not. We're not the ones that that can do anything about this as individuals. It's it's governments. It's those in power that really are the only ones that can have this. But since they're not doing anything about it, that's all we have left is to speculate on social media. So, which is I what do, democracy is? Okay, that is, that's, is is getting is getting. You know, it's kind of like if you look at women's suffrage. The president, you know, Wilson, who signed women's suffrage, did it over his own dead body, so to speak. 
He's, he, he personally was utterly opposed. There are multiple instances, you know, Nixon got us out of the Vietnam War. There, there are many examples of this. Michelle, Michelle Obama really, I think, really nailed it when she said, look, people, I have been with the leaders of the world. They're just not all that smart. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what I do is I try to educate people as much as I can. Um, it can be difficult sometimes, but on the foundation here, one of the foundations is the work of Garrett on what money rep- what money represents, and that energy is essentially what he showed was energy is money, and what that means is this idea that we can say cut our energy use in half really as a nation is fantasy. If we try to do that, we will throw huge numbers of people into poverty and they will not go down quietly. France is still having yellow vest protests after three years. You don't hear about it in the US, but they're still having them. And, and that is over. I mean, that is over energy. But it's but but it's it's also. And I'm not I'm not saying any of what you just said is wrong. But it's just 100 companies are spewing out 70 percent of the energy. So if all of us died today, the problem would still be there. It does has nothing to do with individuals, and not nothing to do. But certainly, it is a smaller factor than I think many would think that we as individuals can do anything about this. Because a hundred companies are spewing out, there is a great deal of, of truth to what you're saying. Now they are spewing that; they are using that energy on our behalf collectively. Well, okay, to, um, to prevent and and eliminate poverty. I think that's that's. I'm, I'm not doubting that a lot of it is, but I think that's pretty rosy to say mm. that all of it is. And I'm not. Well, I know that you didn't say those words, but I mean to look at all these hundred companies; they're really. All doing all of that energy is going to to helping the human race. I, I seriously well, doubt that. It, it's logistic. I mean, the energy is going into logistics, transport, manufacturing, resource extraction, farming, manufacture of chemicals, all that sort of thing. All of which takes energy. Sure. Um, so there's that, and I. You know, uh, there's a. You're probably familiar with Mark Z. Jacobson. Mm, he he wrote familiar. a somewhat infamous now paper that was that it was published in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, claiming that we could relatively easily run our nation on 100% solar, wind, and hydro. And that paper was you know there was there was a paper published after it by. A guy named Clack and another, there's 20 scientists altogether uh, who basically they, they soundly trashed it. You know, he, he put in there things like a basic assumption was that all dams for generating hydropower would always have sufficient water, plentiful water, which is the opposite of what we're seeing happen. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a ludicrous proposition. And 
something that most people don't realize about solar and wind is that it, because they don't understand how the grid works. The grid must exactly balance the, the supply of electricity that is put onto it with the demand for that electricity. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't do, if it, if it drops below, then you get a brownout. If it gets too high, then you get, you know, you get power surges that fry things. Right. And when you put a source of energy that is distributed like solar or, or wind, although a lot of wind is in farms and is a little more controllable. That is both an intermittent type of power and a fluctuating power source. So while you're using it, the amount of power fluctuates. Mm -hmm. It can fluctuate pretty dramatically, second by second. Mm -hmm. And over the course of, of days and, and the year, it, it is intermittent. It's not there a lot of the time which means you must have a backup to provide power in that interim. Right. And that the, the generating method that, is, that can spin up fast enough to compensate for the, fluctu the fluctuations is natural gas. And so you're locked in to using natural gas. When, when France forced solar into their grid which was 70% nuclear, their CO2 emissions rose because they had to generate energy to, to compensate. Nuclear is the, the CO2-free source of energy that we can implement, which would provide baseload power. And you can add, you can add solar to it, you can add wind to it, and practice, uh, the nations of Europe, which have tried really hard, have not been able to get above about 12, 13% renewable power. Mm -hmm. um, they, can, they get, you know, you see these articles about Energy Wende in Germany that come out regularly in the summertime saying, you know, they've got, you know, they're 100% they're solar, you know, whatever. Well, that's just for a few, that's just a short period in the summertime. Mm -hmm. You also have the problem with, with solar that you, if you don't use all of the potential energy that those solar panels could generate, then you are not going to get the return, the energy return on energy invested that you thought you were. You know, the reality is that quite a bit of the time, Solar farm, you know, solar farms are, you know, the, the, the energy is not accepted because the grid can't handle it at the time. It just, you know, it's, it's just not able to. The more solar you have, because you get these, the, you get a rise in the summertime and a drop in the wintertime, the more solar you have on the grid, the worse this problem gets because you get to a point where you cannot possibly use all the energy in the summertime. So you have to throw throw it away, and and then in the wintertime you don't you know you don't have it, so you have to supply it. And that's and that when you look at the history of the oil industry relative to nuclear power in particular, what you see is you know 
way back in, in, in the late 40s, the Rockefellers pushed for the linear no threshold regulation of nuclear power because they, you know, they saw it as a threat to themselves. Back in, in uh, 1970 or 72, I, I forget, it was, it was right around 1970, um, money from Standard Oil, $200,000 was given to David Brower to start Friends of the Earth. Now, they didn't do that out of the kindness of their hearts. <laughs> David Brower took over, used that money. That, that would be a couple million in today's money and took over the Sierra Club, turned it into an anti-nuclear organization. Right. Mark Z. Jacobson, all of the money he's ever gotten in grants has been sourced from oil. From, uh, so, you know, you have this pattern that, that strongly suggests that what is going on here is the curation of a story for the purpose of locking in fossil fuels with solar and wind rather than the other way than the, than the, than the other way around. Okay. And co the common perception of nuclear as dangerous is, 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 is very wrong. If you, if we had, because you know, I've done these calculations, if we had 30 years if, if, we were, if we were producing all of our energy on Earth with Chernobyl-type reactors, without any, any, you know, any extra safety systems, and one of those reactors blew up every year for 30 years, and we logged all the, all the mortality from those accidents for the following 25 years afterwards. At the end of that 30-year period, we would not have caused two thirds of the deaths that we know will happen from one coal-fired plant. That's reality. That's what the numbers actually say. Oh boy! Okay. Um, you know the, the the there were you know when when Chernobyl went up, the using linear threshold calculations, the prediction was made that 4,000 to 8,000 lymphomas and leukemias would happen in, in the region that was subjected to fallout. They just have not been found. They did not appear. The only cancer that appeared was thyroid cancer. And that only appeared in, in children who were, primarily children, who were fed milk you know, during the first few weeks after the accident from, from ruminants that grazed on grass that was contaminated. Because mm -hmm. even if you're exposed directly to the fallout, you're not going to get a high enough concentration of iodine to affect you significantly. You have to have it concentrated through an animal. And mammary glands of, of all mammals concentrate iodine in the milk. So with that, there were, you know, there there were people, and the most the most vulnerable group turns out to be um, adolescent girls, whose whose breasts are developing because they have a high demand for iodine, so they scavenge more iodine than others. And with that, there were, in the twenty five years after Chernobyl, there were nine excess deaths from 
thyroid cancer in 25 years. Now, that's, that's something, but it's also something that is completely avoidable. Even if you don't treat with iodine, it's completely avoidable just by not consuming dairy products for 90 days. It's that simple for 90 days after the end of the, of the fallout bloom happens. Wow. All right. Well, I got a lot more to learn. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, honestly, you know, I, I'm speaking with no real knowledge, but you know, I, I, I remain very skeptical, but you know, I, we have to, something has to be done. We have to do something. And I do agree that it seems obvious that solar and, and, uh, wind are important ingredients, but are not, they can't be the core ingredients. I mean, unless we go seriously into batteries and something. Yeah. Uh, the ba- well, well the, the problem with batteries is that you, they have to be so huge. Um, I mean, that's another technical discussion, but you know, the, the IEEE has done some, the Institute of Electronics and Electrical Electronics Engineers has done some articles on, on batteries and solar and, and wind and, and just how large they would need to be. And the figures you get to are just astonishing because you don't just have, you know, with your solar house, if you're off the grid, first of all, you're going to waste a huge amount of the solar power. You have to vastly over um, install your solar power so you can always be able to recharge your batteries mm-hmm. when there is sun. Mm-hmm. That means you have to throw away a huge amount of the potential energy that you're going to get to them, which means that they're their energy payback, you know, it, it takes a couple of years for a solar panel to pay back to the grid, if it's attached to it, the amount of energy required to manufacture it. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you're in a situation where you're you're net, you know, you have to be over installed by a factor of ten to be able to guarantee your batteries are gonna be are gonna be up, well you may not pay ever pay the energy debt off so and and it becomes something that that it's just not worth doing you know okay um all right i mean that's all very interesting you know i i we've mixed topics here and that's um let 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 me close with with a little uh fact please that uh most people don't know there is 13.3 tons of uranium dissolved in a cubic mile of, of ocean. You do the math on that, and it means that there is enough U-235 in San Francisco Bay on a normal day to make more than five Hiroshima-sized atom bombs, if you could extract it all. Now, it's highly diluted, so it doesn't matter, but what this should signal to people is, hey, you know, all this, all this scare stuff about how radionuclides are, you know, are, are going to kill you, and you know, one one, you know, one particle is 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 deadly. It's just, it's just not so. Okay. 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 Recovered um, a lot of ground. If you need, if, if yeah, you, no, you, I mean, you know, I, 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 have no response. I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I, all I can do is listen to that. It's, it's, it's very new and I, I don't really know much, but you know, whatever, I guess I'm, I'm more open. I'm more open to it than I was before. I, I'm not 
going to pretend that I'm still not skeptical of the, all the obviously scary things that have happened, but you know, it is what it is. It, it, let's, let's just leave it there. That's, that's fine. Um, is there anything, is there anything, um, uh, if you want to go back at all to, uh, anything else that you would like to say to, to round out the heart yeah, of our well, well, you know, that, that energy does mesh with MMT because MMT is about how we create money and we, we have to create money by focusing it on creation of real utility value. And we have established now that that real utility, utility value creation is signaled, I mean, is, is very tightly correlated with the amount of energy that we produce. So you can't just separate energy from money and say, oh, it's, you know, they're different things. They're not. You know, we, we, we've now established that they are, you know, that, that, that they're linked, like, you know, like links in a chain. Money is our decisions of how to, what energy to use, what things to use and how to use it. Yes. It is a reflection of how we want to use our energy. Yes. It is an agreement that we have made with each other. And what we found out about it as, a, as an emergent phenomenon is that it is it operates the way you just said. Just yeah. like that. Yeah. That, that's a very good one. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, this, this covered a lot of ground on a, a lot of different stuff. Um, I, do, I, do feel, I do feel a lot clearer on the Bitcoin stuff. Um, uh, that, that was great. And uh, I, I do. I really enjoyed your your uh, promises and premises paper. Uh, that was that was that was the first major Bitcoin thing that I that I've read, and that obviously you know from a, from a pretty pure MMT point of view, which was nice. So uh, yeah, no, thank you for thank you for spending all this time with me. Thank you for you know your interesting posts and papers. And uh, thank you, thank you for having me on. I, I appreciate the chance to reach a larger a larger audience. Well, uh, yeah, no, thanks. And uh, academic academics are important, but then you have to get it out to the general public. That's the whole point. Yes. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, this goes back to the nuclear question. The reason that we're talking about it on social media and on a podcast is because our leaders are not doing it. And it's our job to get the public knowledgeable about these things so that we can more in a more educated fashion and without being tricked to put pressure on those who do have the power to do it or become the people that have the power to do it. Yeah. That really is kind of the point, I think. Yeah. One of the, one of the positives that I see in, in this administration is that the Biden administration has been, has, has said it's pro-nuclear, which is a really big step because there hasn't been one yet. This is the first administration that has come out and said that. Well, okay. From from your point of view, that is a good thing. It, it would be an even better thing if they were a pro, let's figure out what we're going to do to get off of fossil fuels administration. And they're not that, as far as I can tell. Yeah, well, you have to be able to, to substitute. You have to be able to, you know... I, th I think what we're going to end up having to do is we're going to have to uh, either build out nuclear at a wartime pace or we're going to end up in civil war. 
I think it's very likely. Well, whatever the case is, I don't know about that specific scenario, but obviously well, we've something... kind of seen the intimations of that this year. Well, you know? I, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. I, I that is one possible scenario. But whatever happens, I think it is going to be that severe. That's that's yeah, my yeah, my. I yeah. don't know what the particular thing is going to be, but I do believe that not in the not so near future, not so far off future, that it's going to be something that severe. Yeah. So I've heard a couple of interesting theories. Um, so and, and, and I, you know, I certainly of, don't want those things to happen. Well, of course, but yeah. we're, we're far. I think we're quite far off from it not happening at this moment. It's like, you know, it doesn't have to happen. We can change our path, but I'm really not seeing much evidence at all that we're changing nice. that path. So. All right. Um, on that depressing note, uh, it's really, it's actually, it's really been, it's been great talking with you. Uh, thank you for spending all this time with me. And um, uh, I, I feel uh, just with the Bitcoin issue, I feel, I feel a lot clearer. So yeah, right. thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Right. Bye-bye. show is by Rectech. You can find Rectech on SoundCloud and Spotify at W-R-E-C-K underscore T-E-C-H. To record Activist MMT, I use the iOS phone app Tape-A-Call Plus for recording phone calls and Zencaster for internet-based recordings. My post-production workflow starts by editing on the iOS app AnyTune Pro Plus then transferring those timestamps to my Windows desktop. At that point, I crudely process the audio in Audacity and then implement the edits and do all of the final processing in the Reaper digital audio workstation. Activist MMT is hosted by Libsyn and the video teasers are created with the online headliner app.
Today's part two of my two-part conversation with author, researcher, and entrepreneur Brian Hanley about his paper, The False Premises and Promises of Bitcoin. The paper, published in 2013 and last updated in 2018, is essentially a summary of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency through an MMT lens. Brian and I continue discussing the list of claims made by Bitcoin's originators and supporters and why they're flawed. We also go in depth into why Bitcoin makes credit impossible and why that's so critical. We end today's episode with the decidedly non-MMT topic of nuclear power. Brian has done research on the biological effects of radiation and is a strong supporter of nuclear power being a primary ingredient in dealing with the climate crisis. He talks about how nuclear power and radiation are badly misunderstood by the public and media. Now let's get right back to my conversation with Brian Hanley. <laughs> 